0: Welcome back to Beyond Well with Sheila Hamilton. I am so thrilled today to be talking about a topic that I think has got to be the number one most Googled theme of this year, and that is how we achieve unity. Joy Scott has just written a phenomenal book that I think everyone who is interested in this topic should be reading. It's called Magenta Nation Pathway to Unity. Joy is a 40 year ARE Association for Research and Enlightenment Group member, and she's currently the Los Angeles coordinator for ARE. She's a lifelong spiritual student and seeker. She's also written several books in addition to Magenta Nation. I am thrilled to have you here talking about the, I think, the most important topic as a human being that we can be considering right now, Joy. Thanks for writing Magenta Nation.
1: Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. And I agree with you. Uh, And what we have seen is that there's a recognition on a national level of how important it is now to be unifying ourselves as a country and overcoming a lot of these barriers that that
0: have divided us and, and kept us from moving forward. I wanna talk a little bit about the book itself because you wrote this before President Biden's inaugural speech. You wrote this uh, during the Trump administration when I would say that a lot of people just thought that America was going to remain divided. What was it that prompted you to, to take on this really important, pressing topic?
1: Like many people, uh, I was very concerned with what was happening in the country. And within my own family, there was such a divide. Uh, there were uh, people who believed the opposite of what I believed, and yet we were all good people. I mean, I love them dearly. Uh, but I said, how did we get so different? You know, how do we believe such different things? How are we going down such different paths? And decided that I wanted to do something and decided that the most important thing I could do was to try to figure that out um, and how we could come together. And what it uh, came down to in writing the book uh, was the realization that we do have these common values. That, what, that is what unites us. Uh, We still believe in what our founding fathers uh, believed when they started America. Um, We do believe in um, caring about each other, about having families that we can love and keep secure. Um, We care about uh, having meaningful lives. So... um, I looked at the book, Being a Communicator, how can we better communicate? Uh, people are different biologically. Some of us have uh, more of a, a tendency to be fearful. Some of us are more adventurous. You know, how could we craft our language to come down to these common values and talk about things uh, in terms that didn't make us mad just argue and argue and argue. So that was really the um, focus of magentination. And also I wanted to bring into it the ability that we have to really change our reality. At times you know, things would look just look so hopeless, but the new science is showing us that our thoughts are things. And many experiments have been done showing that how we think affects the physical world calming violence in in communities or areas where there might even be warfare, changing the structure of water, making plants grow better. This isn't just a new age myth anymore. I mean, it's proven. So I also wanted to show people a way that we could harness our power of intention uh, as well as our actions to uh,
0: improve our world. You are uh, the CEO of Scott public relations and you've been a lifelong communicator as well as a spiritual seeker. Talk to me more about the way in which communication can play a role. I've been thinking about it in terms of when people say we want to talk politics, I'd prefer they say I'd like to listen politics. <laughs> the very act of listening could allow us to begin communicating a little bit better with those we disagree with. Yeah.
1: Well, that's just so critical. And we tend to react emotionally to a lot of of things that are said, but just listening is very, very important. Uh, One of my clients does a technique called the five whys, and that's very effective when someone says this, uh, says a statement maybe that you think, hmm, okay, I'd really like to know more about that. Can you tell me more? As the person begins to talk, then ask, you know, why? Do you think that is, or why do you think that's happening, or why do you think that's true? And begin to get down to the, the basic, really, of the value that's below those beliefs, finding ways to agree with the individual. You can get down to maybe underneath the fear is the desire to be safe and secure, and you can we can all relate to that. You know, yeah, I'd really like to be safe and secure along with you. What's the best way to do that? And then focusing it on solutions. You know, what, what do we know as a fact and what can we build on? Now, that's a key question. What do we know is a fact? Because I know, there's a I was, was going to call you on that.
0: Out there. <laughs> <laughs> because it's almost as if facts don't exist anymore, you know? Yeah.
1: So um, a podcast series I'm starting is on that very topic where it's basically just presenting facts about key issues, many of which are are controversial, um, without trying to argue a position. You know, just here here is what we know. This is, I think, the hardest thing is getting to the point of uh, being able to distinguish between what's out there that's real and what isn't, because that line has gotten so blurred.
0: And we can talk about that. Uh, Would you- I, I, I really, <laughs> I have some follow-up questions already. Okay. Um, one of your premises in your book that I find controversial and also just really fascinating is that you think we should be actually holding people accountable, especially leaders, when they are giving people false information. Given that we live in a country where everyone, you know, puts the First Amendment as probably one of the, of, of the values that we can all agree upon, how do we honor both the First Amendment and hold people accountable when they're lying? You know that
1: I think this is a new frontier. You know, the founding fathers never
0: envisioned
1: social media uh, and how disinformation could be spread, how violence could be incited, how hate speech could proliferate uh, in, you know, in a second, you know, millions and millions of people can receive information uh, that might uh, cause them to harm other people, shall we say. Um, so I think we really need to, we need to rethink free speech. Mm-hmm. And uh, free speech doesn't mean the freedom to harm other people. Mm-hmm. You know, if someone misuses a driver's license and is a danger to, to others, they lose that license. And there's many other instances. If people harm other people using a right, then they should lose that right. And they do. But in the area of speech, there's no accountability. Mm-hmm. There's no penalty. I mean, someone can sue an individual for defamation, and that is what's happening right now with one of the companies that own the voting uh, apparatus. They're suing people who have said that their machines were um, allowing fraud, Mm -hmm. Uh, but they're a company, and they've got money, and most individuals can't do that. There was also a father of one of the Sandy Hook children who lost their life in the, uh, that massacre who had to sue someone who was broadcasting a conspiracy theory that that murder never took place. Mm-hmm. That's terrible. And they won. They won. But we need to have stronger uh, penalties for people who are telling lies that are harming other, other individuals and also uh, public officials. I mean, it's very clear, really, when when there's uh, there's no such thing as alternative facts. Mm-hmm. So if someone makes a claim, they should be able to back it up. And if they repeatedly make a claim and there's no validity for it, they should be penalized, like losing the social media platform, or even if they're a public official facing censure and fines. Yeah. And once there is some accountability, we're going to see a huge shift where people are going to be a lot more careful. Right now, it's like the Wild West, Anybody can say anything, even the news media. Certain areas of the news media.
0: I, I want um, to talk about that because you you bring readers um, into a little history of, about how it used to be. For those of us who have been in journalism for a while, we remember the fairness doctrine and what your responsibility was as a journalist, as a television station, as a newspaper. And so if you would describe for people the shifts that occurred, Joy, and when why many people are suggesting that we bring that fairness doctrine back. Yes.
1: there The fairness doctrine required the news media to uh, present both sides. And when that was dropped or, or repealed, In the 90s, we started to see the rise of this very aggressive and controversial talk media. And we saw the rise of news organizations that were clearly very biased and were only uh, reporting one side and even sides that weren't real, uh, facts that were, quote, alternative facts, unquote. And there really has been no accountability for that. So it's made it possible for extreme news outlets presenting viewpoints that were, I won't even say far from the mainstream, but just simply were not accurate. And this universe has grown and influenced millions of Americans to have beliefs about conspiracy theories, about individuals, about parties, about initiatives that simply are are not true. And that's what we have to deal with right now is this huge group of people having been influenced in this way. We really need to go back to the fairness doctrine. We need to uh, impose, There's there are restrictions that prevent and forbid hate speech, but they're not enforced. Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: they need to be enforced. I was fascinated by the Pew study that asked people where they got their news. And I think 60% of people who live in rural uh, America said, um, from talk radio, they viewed talk radio, which is all opinion and entertainment based as their news source. And so yes. w- one can understand why we are so confused as a country. Um, for many people, especially working people, that's the only source of information they get. They're in their trucks all day long. They don't have time to read newspapers. They barely get home in time to, to be with their kids for a little bit. I, I'm really interested by this idea, especially from your vantage point as a public relations person. Yes. What you can do with your clients to make sure that they are abiding by the truth.
1: Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm.
1: Um, in fact, I just did a podcast with um, an organization, Public Relations uh, Boutiques International, dealing with the, su- the subject of fake news. And it is really difficult to deal with it. People resort to the courts, There can be a lot of behind the scenes discussion to get news items corrected or, but the tsunami of fake news is the only way I think that we can stop it is by creating accountability for those who are putting it out. And I don't see that as a a violation of free speech at all. I see that as stopping the abuse of free speech
0: to harm other people. Hmm. I've often thought about when you're a kid and your parents tell you when you go to the movie theater, don't yell fire. It just feels exactly (laughs) the same to me, you know? Mm -hmm. I want to just move on to, um, you've done some interesting brain research in your book, talking about the difference between people who are prone to believe these things and who are who come from these really um, strict backgrounds with a fear based uh, patriarchal father. And this is compared to who ends up mostly being liberal thinkers are people who come from a slightly more fluid background between power sharing between the male and the female. So talk to people about that research and why if we understand that about the person we're disagreeing with, it might help you to be able to have some compassion and empathy for their point of view.
1: The research is shown that if the amygdala, which is a part of the brain, tends to be larger in people who have conservative and more fear-based mindsets and not as large in those who are more comfortable with risk with New ideas with less structure, I guess you might say, in society. The uh, individuals who are putting out fake news have done a brilliant job in inciting fear. When you look at their appeals, it's always about someone's going to come over here and murder you. You know, these immigrants are going to kill you. Or these people wanna take away your jobs or they wanna take away your religion or, or, you know, it's so fear-based and people do react to that. Unfortunately, the human beings, human beings in general, we tend to react to fear more than logic. So that's where it's really important to come to these common terms. Like we were talking about safety. What's the best way that we can achieve safety given that we all want that? What's the best way to achieve economic security? We all want that. And go back to the common values. Try, it's kind of like unraveling a Gordian knot, but, you know, try to kind of unravel the rhetoric around the fear, you know, like what evidence is there that immigrants are violent? What evidence is there that a certain economic theory really works better? Actually, based on fact, it's not working. And here's the facts. I think you can just get people to start thinking. I'd love to see some kind of national movement that got people talking to each other. And that within that that context, a million mini town halls Uh, (laughs) taking place where we could really talk about this and come up with, you know, what are our values, reaffirm them, and how do we want to express them?
0: That's what our democracy should be about i want to ask you about your personal viewing habits because in the past year i think especially since quarantine uh, uh it there was so much news coming at us every single day i think that many people became almost dependent on television news to try to both excite their amygdala and to fulfill that feeling that they had enough information to move forward in their day um And so many of my friends who are the most anxiety-ridden and most depressed watch TV almost nonstop. So I'd be curious about what your viewpoint is on viewing and reading habits in order to maintain an equilibrium in the circumstances we're under.
1: Mm -hmm. Sure. Well, because of my profession, I have to watch the news constantly, but I do it on the computer and I I read online uh, versions of print media. I never watch TV, (laughs) which is a, probably a failing, but I, uh, there's such a, a tendency for television news to even legitimate news has an entertainment factor that, and a a little bit of a sensationalistic factor. It can be scary. Mm -hmm. Uh, Plus you have the, the um, visual impact, uh, which is so much stronger than whatever is said. Uh, as humans, um, respond much more to visual stimuli than what we're hearing or reading. So it probably would be a good idea to limit it maybe to some of just the evening shows or turn on, you know, some good streaming (laughs) content, watching documentaries. They're so interesting. There's so many of them now. Also to be careful of getting news via social media. Like I have, I do have friends who get most of their information, say, from Facebook. And they'll call me and say, so-and-so shared this with me, and I'm really upset. You know, have you heard this? Is this real? And I say, well, no, I've never heard that. And it could be that it's just, you know, that person's opinion. Mm. So just being really, really careful, too, about the information that you get on, on, um, on social media. Mm. There's also, um, it's very easy to make a, to make something look like a piece of news when it isn't. Mm. Um, so television news is, if you're watching, say, some of the the national network news, is factual. Other sources are are not and can be quite alarming. So it's probably better to determine how you're going to get your news and then limit that. Access.
0: Do you, as a public relations um, expert, see it as a positive thing that more companies are turning toward public disclosure of where they stand on civil and societal issues? I- I'm thinking about how many more companies during the George Floyd protests, during the Me Too movement, actually had to make public statements about where they stood and what their commitment to positive change was going to be.
1: Uh, this is huge. And this is a change that I don't think will ever revert um, of, co- of companies uh, listening to their employees and their customers and their own conscience and realizing that they needed to, to take a stand. Also, uh, what a lot of them are doing is taking that stand with their advertising money. Mm-hmm. So that's another way in which some of the, the more extreme sources of information can be policed. If they're losing their financial support, they will eventually change. So uh, I applaud this. This is a a huge step forward
0: in uh, corporate social responsibility. Is there anything that we haven't covered? I mean, your book is so rich, and I and I, if I hadn't said it, it it really felt to me like it probably were, it was the crib note for um for Joe Biden's. <laughs> speech. You really touched on so many of the things that have torn the fabric of America apart, and you did it way in advance of when this became the overriding theme for a lot of Americans. So I congratulate you. I think everyone I should actually read this book. There's really good exercises challenging your own thought process about how you've come to the conclusion that you're at. And I think it is a path to unity, Joy. I'm, I'm deeply moved by it. Thanks for writing it.
1: Well, thank you for reading it. And, and thank you so much for your comments. That's exactly what the intention was, is to give people the tools to identify their own values and how they could help make this a better world. And what I would just like to reiterate is the theme of empowerment and how important it is for us to get a really clear idea of what we want um, and not necessarily just be unhappy with the present or be kind of general, but how do we want our world to be and keep that thought I do it every day. I visualize that every morning when I do my uh, meditation. And it's very empowering because uh, we are powerful. When, uh, you know, the Quakers are a tiny little group of people who have affected huge changes in society. Mm. It only takes 10% of a culture to change, to change the entire culture. Um, So as we change ourselves and as we act in the world, Uh, to help make it a better place. And we keep our vision, we keep our vision clear. Um, This is going to produce results that we can't even imagine at this point.
0: Tell us again where people can find the book and your other writing as well. And also if they want to follow you on your website, if you'd give them that information, that would be awesome.
1: Sure. Um, The website is www.magenta, that's M-A-G-E-N-T-A, the color, hyphen nation Dot com and the book Magenta Nation is available on Amazon and uh, also uh, the other books I've written a couple of novels with the theme of forgiveness um, and they are on the website
0: as well. Yeah. If you enjoy the program, please give us a thumbs up wherever you listen to podcasts. And we're so grateful for our sponsors. You can find out all about that at beyond well with Sheila Hamilton.com. Make it a great day.